African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, it is the eve of elections in South Africa, and I'm sure many of you are still undecided as to who you'll be voting for. This year's sixth election is said to be the most hotly contested election yet. In just a matter of hours, voting stations throughout the country will be opening to millions of people wishing to cast their vote. Could we see the dawn of a new government? Have the political contenders done enough rallying and campaigning and have they addressed issues that linger in the minds of many South Africans? Now, to help us with this discussion on the eve of our elections, we have on the line Professor Cheryl Africa, who's an associate professor in the the Department of Political Studies at the University of the Western Cape. We're also joined by Professor Sean Gossel, who's an associate professor from the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. And our third guest is Dr. Theo Fenter from the University of the Northwest. Good morning to all of you and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Professor, professor Cheryl, perhaps I could start with you. I mean, we are a few hours away from voting. What's your take on voter confidence right now? Well, um, what we've seen is that there's um, not a lot of confidence, actually. There's a lot of dissatisfaction with political actors and even with the system. Um, So there's been talk about the possibility of a dampened turnout. Um, But, you know, at the end of it, we've got to all make our choices because... The fact is that at the end of it, valid votes cost that determines the outcome, you know, and who sits in the decision-making seats. So whether we are dissatisfied um, and if we, we choose to not vote, which is our prerogative, um, or to spoil the, the ballot, you know, at the end of it, it doesn't get taken into account. So, um, you know, the best is to, even if people are dissatisfied, um, they are cynical, it's to actually go and cast their ballot. Professor Gossel, what's what's your take? Um, Professor Cheryl is saying there seems to be a lot of dissatisfaction, more than confidence. Uh, Do you agree with her sentiments? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, Elections basically are supposed to be an automatic conflict um, resolution mechanism built into the system. But in South Africa, it doesn't seem to be working very well. Um, There's effectively two um, symptoms of that. The first is that we do have um, a low voter turnout and a low voter registration, particularly among the youth, which is an indication of apathy and a disbelief in the system. Um, And the other one is the heightened number of service delivery protests during this election period, which indicates that people do not believe that the vote is an adequate measure um, of changing society. And so both of these are basically ways of opting out of the electoral process. And it's once again an indication that we are a very, very immature democracy, still 25 years down the line, but we still are a very immature system. Dr. Theo? Yeah, well, I I agree with my my colleagues in that um, two things um, are actually showing up 
um, in this election. The one is that with huge urbanization, our metros and our largest cities are now hosting the bulk of the population, mm. and the rural areas are becoming smaller and smaller, and the rural population, of course, are the most vulnerable, and, and the infrastructure, the communication structures, and all of those things are far more um, focused on, on, the, on the urban centers. And my impression is that where, while the urban votes in 2016, when we had local government elections, um, kind of um, uh, stayed away from the polls due to a reaction to President Zuma, that is changing in this election. I think uh, Ramaphosa is far more favorably regarded in the urban centers. But in our rural areas where I've got a lot of access to and where I'm operating in the Northwest and the Northern Cape and these places, the stay away vote, the discussion that um, the political system is not going to solve any of our problems is a very prevalent narrative. And be that as it may, Dr. Fenter, I mean, surveys are suggesting that the ANC will still walk away with the majority. Um, what do you think they're basing this on? I've got no doubt that the ANC will be the dominant party after the election. What the, the, the uncertainty is about is the number. Is it going to be 60% or is it going to be 50%? doesn't matter. But they will definitely... Uh, at the national level, still be the dominant force after the election. Provincially, things may look different. But um, I think it has to do with um, the, the, the liberation, um, the, the democracy um, that started in 1994. So I think the ANC still trades on a very strong symbolism that is associated with the emergence of democracy in this country 25 years ago. And that still works for the, for the ruling party. Professor Africa, what are your thoughts? I mean, um, the ANC is dominating. There are 48 political parties contesting. So vo- voters are still really spoiled for choice. But there is that allegiance that we can't really, you know, uh, run away from. So there are 48 parties contesting, but I don't necessarily think that the voters are spoiled for choice. Mm. Um, you, you know, you hear people speaking about that, uh, the fact that they don't know who to vote for because they're dissatisfied with all three of the major parties and um, they don't necessarily see efficacy in voting for a smaller party. So even though we've got more um, parties, I, I, I think that... You know, the choices available to them is still something that they grapple with, which is why we've seen um, a bit more fluidity and higher numbers of people saying they're not sure who they're going to vote for. I mean, for me, the voting decision is quite a complex um, act and um, choice to make. You know, we've got long-term factors like the identity factors, Mm. uh, where you live, sorry, history and so on. And then the more medium-term factors would be your family influence, socialization, values, etc. And then the shorter-term influences would be um, issue opinions and, um, you know, what you see in the media, your information networks. And then on the other side with political parties also, 
you've got the history of the party, the policies, ideology, etc. But then also the behavior and the choices that they make between elections, which is quite important. So, um, yes, on the one hand, people um, do take identity into account and, and the political history, but I think more and more there's a weighing up of different factors. Um, but then at the end of the day, um, you know, a decision has to be made. And so it's going to be around overall perspectives of would you t trust um, in terms of taking the country forward, your community, yourself, and so on. So it's quite complex. Mm -hmm. um, just can I come back quickly to, yes. to the youth vote? Yes, yes, because, please. Because, you know, the youth vote, um, to me, there's a lot of disillusionment. You know, I think apathy can be one part of it, but I think it comes back to this view that there isn't that much in terms of choice. And I think there is a big generational issue happening where older people tend to value the vote more. Um, you know, they've experienced what it is to live under apartheid and what was sacrificed in order to get us the vote. So for me, for example, it's quite a bittersweet thing. My dad passed away in 93 be before he could um, vote. Mm. And so, you know, even if one is truly upset with the political parties and the actors, as I say, I think older generations value the vote more um, compared to younger generations. I don't think it's, it's only an issue of apathy. I think it's disillusionment as well. Mm. Can, I, can I just contribute? Because I think that is a very good point. Yes. And another dimension of the youth vote, of course, is that the youth are spoiled for options in terms of social media, in terms of expressing themselves on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. In other words, their participation let's say, in civic society at a different level mm. than with what the parents had. The parents had civic societies where they had to do things against all odds. And I think that also brings about a different view on politics from the youth. It's a different generation. But don't you also think, Professor Gossel, that it could be um, that the youth, is, it's a form of protest as well, I mean, not wanting to vote, not being interested in voting. Could we not also see it as a form of protest? To, to a large extent, yes, particularly among the, um, the, the urban youth. But uh, coming back to the previous point about the, the um, uh, success or non-success of the ANC, I think the ANC is sitting with a, with a significant problem. And I'd agree with commentators that are saying that this is likely to be the last relatively easy win for the ANC. Mm. And that's simply because the ANC has done a very, very poor job over the years of having succession planning. Unlike uh, the EFF is a new party, but unlike the EFF, the DA, and even the UDM, who actively have young leaders that they're grooming in the party, the ANC has failed dismally and put far too much power or stock in the successes of the, the Youth League, which has not done anything as envisaged. So as a result, the, the young um, potential ANC um, voters do not find a home in the ANC anymore. And you're seeing this generational drift mm. between the, the, well, the effectively the born freeze and the older generation. Um, and that's going to be very difficult for the ANC to reverse in specifically by the time of the next election. So as a result, I do not see an easy win going forward for the ANC compared to potentially this time around. Mm. That, well, that is a very, very interesting point. Yes, Dr. And Fenter. I'm just saying this uh, tongue-in-cheek. The only party that never worried about succession planning, of course, was the IFP with, uh, 
with uh, Butelezi now 90 years old and his last election. Now they have to worry about leadership. And very often mm. it is in the succession planning mm. that parties fail to sustain. Mm. And I mean, how do you think this can be rectified going forward? I mean, we are seeing that a very active EFF, uh, Dr. Fenter, who's really sort of like a a threat in a way uh, to to the ANC in terms of bringing these new ideas and really being um, forthcoming in Parliament. I mean, maybe that's what young people want to see. I think the EFF is a very interesting um, phenomenon in politics. Remember, they... Uh, they originated as an anti-Zuma forum, if we want to call it. Yes. That. And then they they lost their reason for existence when Zuma was kicked out a year or two, or two ago. So the EFF in this election is in a kind of a re-emergence, re, uh, reinventing themselves in terms of what it is that they're all about. And for them... It's very easy. If you look at their manifesto, that looks like a PhD. Manifestos aren't PhDs. They're short, succinct Mm. documents to the point. They're not about these things that nobody reads. And and then um, I think it's easy for them to say all of these things because they've got no chance whatsoever of winning anything except maybe to be the official opposition in Northwest Limpopo and one or two other provinces. That, that, is, that is the realistic expectation about the EFF. So they can actually say anything. Most people, of course, are aware of the fact that they've got very little to show in terms of, of management. They've got very little to show in terms of which uh, local government are they managing. So as an oppos- opposition party, the EFF has got a field day Mm. to say what they want to and to be highly critical of anything because there's no consequences for them. Well, that's the voice of Dr. Theo Fenter from the University of the Northwest. Talking to us alongside him is Professor Sean Gossel, who's an associate professor from the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town, as well as Professor Shell Africa, also an associate professor in the Department of Political Studies at the University of the Western Cape. Let's take a short break and then we'll continue after this. miss out the third annual Africa Shared Value Summit taking place from the 23rd to the 24th of May 2019 in Nairobi, Kenya. Thought leaders and business changemakers from across Africa will share insights and case studies showing how shared value can transform your business and create the Africa we want. Book your ticket at africasharedvaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will broadcast live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcast on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or tune in to DSTV Channel 802 to be part of the conversation. Channel Africa, African Perspective. 
This is African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're welcome to interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa or you can Facebook us. You can also SMS your views to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now, Professor Africa... Arguably, the ANC has lost quite a few voters. You know, there's been corruption claims. The Zonda Commission of Inquiry is on. Do you think that people care about this when it comes to voting? Or are, are they more worried about bread and butter issues? So I think they do care, Ayanda. But as I say, um, you know, I think the, the voting decision is quite complex. So you might care about a particular issue. And the party that ostensibly is doing that in the manifesto is not necessarily the party that you're going to vote for. Or you might be highly concerned um, as an ANC voter about what's coming out of the commission, but that concern is overridden by another factor, for example, one of the guests mentioned um, the support for Cyril Ramaphosa and the changes that he's been introducing. So, um, you know, voters will weigh up different aspects, um, and then on that basis they would make their decision. So I think that they do care uh, what's coming out of the commission and the other information that's been coming out, um, you know, the criticism about the lists, etc. But uh, they will make an overall calculation, and then they would say things like... Um, which other party, <clears throat> excuse me, would be um, in their view capable. And if they don't see a different party, so there's mm. a critique not only of the ANC, there's a critique of the DA as well. There's a strong critique of the EFF. There's a strong critique against any other smaller political party. Um, so it becomes quite a challenge for the voter then to make up their mind. And then ultimately they would settle whether it be um, the ANC, the DA, the EFF, or another party. Seeing that, you know, the voters uh, could be um, divided, are, you, are we likely to see some coalitions coming out from this election, Professor Africa? Um, well, I think that would probably be more question at provincial level. Um, and what we've seen, it's either the Western Cape or Gauteng. Um, in the Western Cape, we've got almost a, a dominant DA situation. So they've got the advantage of incumbency. In all likelihood, they would take the province. But um, according to my perspective, that is not a given. We've seen so much change and flux, different parties in power in the Western Cape. So no party can ever take the majority for, for granted in that province. And then the other province that, as we know, has come up from, from surveys is counting. Um, you know, the ANC won with um, by three percentage points in 2014. They got 53% majority, which is a narrow majority. Um, there again, though, that's not a given. The ANC might get the majority, but on the other hand, it's not. they cannot take it for granted. And I know I have to let you go in a minute or so, but what do you think um, the impact would be of Patricia Dillow's um, vacation of of uh, the Western Cape or DA, so to say, will have on the on the on that uh, province itself. Yes, so I think the formation of her party, good, and the whole battle between her and the DA does change the dynamic in the province. Um, I think she would get some measure of support, Patricia Delo.
the extent to which um, she she garners support, that we'll have to see. But I think it does definitely change the dynamic in the province. Can I quickly say something about the campaigns before I leave? Yes, please. Okay, so what I wanted to mention about the campaigns is that, you know, we've seen parties going out with various modes of campaigning that try to connect with the electorate and their supporters. And for me, what now becomes very important is for them to take what they've seen and what they've heard um, and to after the elections, because we've been in a bit of a frenzy um, with all the polls and so on prior to the elections, they need to actually go and do something with it. Because when you listen to the campaign speeches, you hear particular parties saying only our party can solve these problems. Mm. And in actual fact, no party has a monopoly on solutions. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting in the situation that we are. Um, and we really need political will, and if needs be, which I don't think we will see, but party, um, you know, collaboration across political parties to deal with the situation that we're in. Well, thank you very much for your time. I have to let you go, Professor Cheryl Africa. She's an associate professor in the Department of Politics at the University of the Western Cape. Thank you so much. And we'll stick with uh, Professor Sean Gossel and Dr. Theo Fenter. Professor Gossel, if we just stick on that line of thinking of Professor um, Africa talking about campaigns, I mean, for you, which party really stood out uh, in campaigning, especially when dealing with matters of the economy because the economy hasn't been doing well the youth don't have jobs we've got graduates that aren't getting jobs so you, you know what which party for you stood out in terms of addressing the economic situation well unfortunately none of them mm. um much of what <laughs> we've heard this, this has been a very very lackluster election cycle um all the parties have effectively just trotted out the same promises they've made in prior elections even though the economy is in dire straits um, and require significant um, intervention and policy changes. Um, but none of that has been brought to the fore, which is not too surprising because South Africa's elections historically have been fought rather on, um, on the, the policy makers rather than actually on the policies. So we are prone to that style of politicking, which is relatively immature. Um, and unfortunately, the election itself, as a result, then breeds the, the uncertainty and the frustration when politicians cannot deliver on the promises that they're making because they don't have the policies to do so. Professor Fenter, I heard you giggle there. <laughs> what are yeah, your thoughts? I, I, I agree in large measure with what he said, and there's a, there's a very interesting thing. If I had to give a title to this election, I would call it the Zuma legacy. Because if you look at the campaigns of the political parties, um, one would have expected a, a large measure of economic um, solutions or resolutions or whatever, but political parties, the ANC for instance, tried to put distance between them and Zuma by saying, yes, we made mistakes, but trust us for another five years, what, mm. what, what. The DA went on to the state capture, corruption, and those kind of issues, um, exploiting it, of course. That's what political parties would do. Uh, the EFF, like I said, is trying to reinvent themselves, coming up with all kinds of um, uh, ideas um, based on, on, on what they've done. But the, the biggest single issue is a negative economic climate and lackluster economic growth of less than 1% 
Some people are saying some, uh, the optimists are saying 1.3, 1.5%. Now, if your economic growth is lower than your population growth, it means the country is getting poorer by the day. That should have been the priority. But, of course, we know politics is about getting first past the post. And once you're beyond that post, you can say, I'm the ruling party or I'm the winning party. Then you can try and do things. So looking from an economic perspective, I, I share my colleagues' cynicism about the political party's impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Gossel, just before we go for our last break, I mean, do you see Ramaphosa really creating this number of jobs for young people that he's uh, seeing himself and his party creating in the next two to three years? Not unless we have significant policy changes and um, the the kind of policy changes that we're going to need are going to be very unsettling for many of the alliance partners who are campaigning on the ANC's behalf. So it is going to be very difficult for Ramaphosa to pull off what he's been promising because he just doesn't have the political strength behind him to do so. Um, and that's quite evident from the, the ANC's electoral um, and electioneering where effectively the ANC has been fighting itself rather than arguing against other opposition parties. It's almost as if one faction of the ANC is electioneering against another faction of the ANC. Mm. Um, and that just once again is an indication of just how tenuous Ramaphosa's hold over the ANC and and um, the grasp of ANC unity actually is. And I suspect that once the election is out of the way, much of it which has been boiling will blow out into the open. Um, and maybe for the good of the country, we can then deal with it. Instead of at the moment, there's this false this false draft for unity when it's quite apparent which side of the different ANC factions people stand. So it's not going to be such a simple task as the electioneering would let us believe. Well, that's the voice of Professor Sean Gossel, who's an associate professor from the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. It's 25 minutes before 12. Let's take our last break before we wrap it up. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitra Njoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. 
Thank you for choosing African Dialogue. Remember that at 11.45, we're going to have your econ news, and at 11.50, it'll be followed by your sports news. Now, we're on the line with Professor Theo, um, not Professor, Dr. Theo Fenter from the University of the Northwest, and Professor Sean Gossel, who's an associate professor from the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town, talking about elections just a few hours before the voting stations open. Now, yesterday, um, Dr. Fenter, I spoke to briefly in a conversation with Professor Sheila Menkes, mentioning that for her, one of the things that did not come out strongly was gender equality and violence against women and children from from all political parties. Um, what's your What's your take on this? Because I mean, there's been quite a lot of uh, reports in the media. We've seen uh, how. Uh, um, commissioners come out and uh, speak against this but yet their political parties are not really uh, putting it in their maps and in their manifestos and how they're going to deal with this mature or immature political systems which um, I I don't really use but there's a there's a utility in in those words when when you've got a political system that has matured beyond a certain point. And we can compare this with a lot of other political systems in the world. Your basics in the economy has been sorted out. Your basics in the political system has been sorted out. It's about tweaking the system. In those kind of political systems, all types of additional issues can then be accommodated in electoral processes, in in debates. Mm. When you're in South Africa and South Africa, again, compares to a lot of emerging economies, if you want to call it that, and emerging democracies, the basics have not yet been sorted out. In other words, the political um, processes focus on those issues that will make South Africa in the future or will break South Africa in the future. And then it's a pity to say that these important issues like um, gay rights, um, uh, women's rights, and these kind of issues just fall by the wayside due to the enormity of this of these other issues that dominate the system. So I think that in way in a way explains why these important issues don't get the attention they for instance would get in the United States or in England or in France or in any other country that you would like. Um, it is just that the basic issues are so deep and so unsettled that it's difficult to add these things to the agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Professor Gossel, we've got about five minutes left and I want to really split it between the two of you because I want us to just talk a little bit about the new uh, parties. We always see formations of new parties before an election. We've got the Good Party. We've got the ACM Party by Saudi Mutsuning. I mean, are these really just sideshows or um, can, can we possibly see some new faces in Parliament? Well, I suspect that some of them, because of the disillusionment among voters, it's possible that some of them, particularly the um, the new parties that are local-based, uh, might gain enough support. Having said that, it's quite a lot of support they would have to achieve in order to get themselves a seat. Um, but much of it is effectively just politicians trying to find and, and create a job for themselves so they can get, effect, get paid um, for being politicians because they can't really do anything else in the private or public sector. So most of them, yes, I would say they are sideshows. Some of them, um, there are indications, are also related to the ANC's factional battles as well, where they effectively are proxy wars um, using proxy um, proxy politicians. 
Um, but I don't suspect, well, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to get very much support. Um, it's possible that the Good Party may may get support, um, but bearing in mind the ID historically did not get very large support, and um, some of that support might have migrated and stay with the DA, which will erode any possible support then for the Good Party. So um, I'm not entirely sure that even that is going to have too much of a success. I think much of the the focus, because of the disillusionment around the large parties, means that some voters may start looking to some of the smaller parties, but then mm. it's going to probably be based on their personalities or very localised decision-making, and I don't think that's going to be enough to actually give people seats in Parliament. Do you think that Patricia Delors is likely to carry some of her supporters? I think well, there will be... Sorry, yes. Professor Gossel? Oh, sorry. Um, yes, I think there will be some, but not a lot. Um, mainly because it, it split between those that follow the, the policies and what they've um, experienced um, under the time that Patricia DeLille joined the DA versus the those that basically support her as a personality. So there will be those that follow her because she is Patricia DeLille and they believe in what she has to say and what she stands for and therefore they'll vote for her mm. rather than actually because it's a good party. It's much more of a personality-driven vote than a party political vote. Um, whereas those that found it, that moved from the ID into the DA and agree with the policies that the DA are using will stay with the DA even though they might be disquiet around how um, the DA dealt with Patricia DeLille and um, down the line that might come back to to haunt the DA. But I'm I'm not sure that um, Patricia DeLille is going to take a massive amount of votes with her to the good party. Um, Dr. Theo, what are your parting shorts? I mean, do you think that these small parties have a leg to stand on? If we, uh, you know, in a sense, it it, it ends up as a numbers game. Um, We, you need about between... 40 and 50,000 physical votes to get one seat in Parliament. Now, if we allocate um, party support in terms of a general consensus, then there's about between 4 and 5% of the votes that is not allocated. Now, that must be divided between about 40 parties. Uh, if, you, if you take the bigger parties and you provide them with their percentages, that means um, very few very few. I would say apart from the big five and the two or three one percent parties that we that we typically would see, UDM, ACDP and so on, I think there's room for about five or six of these small parties that um, may just, in terms of the numbers game, make the threshold of going to Parliament. And some people have already said that we must do what the people do in Holland and a few other places, Put a two percent threshold. Unless you provide, unless you get two percent threshold in a general election, you can't go to parliament, mm. which will of course bring about um, a lesser problem because it's easy. You need a, a few bucks to register, and then you do another one of those um, fringe political parties like the BLF. I mean, they have basically nothing to to canvas on except to make statements on TV and to be like a TV darling or a radio darling because they say all of these things that cause cameras to flock on wherever they go. That's how they campaign. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 and we need to get, uh, personally, I think we need to look at a, at a threshold in terms of the smaller parties. Otherwise, we get a three-page long 
um, uh, voting ballot, mm. the one that we will all see tomorrow. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's the voice of Dr. Theo Fenter from the University of the Northwest. He's also joined on the line by Professor Sean Gossel, who's an associate professor from the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. And earlier, they were joined by Professor Shell Africa from the University of the Western Cape at the Department of Political Studies. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your time. Thank you for having me.